0: Welcome to another episode of Research to Practice, What Do? I'm Emily. And I'm Andrew. We're your hosts guiding you on your journey in bridging the gap between research and practice.
1: We are here to help all this make sense by sharing ours and others' perspectives on the current research and the intricacies of clinical practice. Today we have on Barbara Boretzka, who is a personal trainer, mum, and someone that has lived experience with chronic pain. So today we wanted to hear about her experiences with pain and what that journey was like as a client and how that lived experience and being a personal trainer has influenced her practice. Now we actually know Barbara through general, you know, social media kind of conversations through the knowledge exchange and things like that. But also because she was briefly studying at uni with us doing ex-phys and she was also involved in the journal club that we used to run about a year or so ago. So we've learned some cool things together growing together already but today it's all about her and her story and lived experiences so with that we'll ask the very first question for you and open the floor Barbara what's your story and what was it like making sense of your pain
2: famous question so um first of all thank you for inviting me um to chat um a story so i I'll start and I'll sort of explain that very, very briefly. But if you do have questions, because I think you've heard it before. um, So I so my background is a is being a classical pianist. So I was a musician, classical pianist and a teacher. So that's what I was doing since really since I was five I started teaching when I was about 18, then moved to Australia. I'm originally from Poland, so I moved to Australia. When I was 19, I kept teaching and I kept playing as well and performing. And at some point, I decided to... Do a an associate diploma in music, uh, via the um Australian Music Examination Board. So, for those who don't know, who don't have experience with um that sort of thing, it is a pretty pretty big and complicated exam that involves both practical and um sort of a theory part as well. So, uh, as a pianist, you have to prepare a few pieces. It's about forty-five minute recitals. So a pretty pretty big, pretty uh sort of high level. And, and quite difficult. So it involves a lot of hours of practicing uh, and preparing that. So I was preparing for that for about a year. Um, and during that time, I was also working, had three jobs and sort of was practicing when I could, practicing at night, not sleeping enough, stressing out a lot. I had a pretty uh, strict teacher who was helping me with that. She was a perfectionist and I am one too. So it sort of felt like, um, you know, there's just too much pressure. So at some point, I think seven months in, I started experiencing some pain in my right hand um, because I was a pianist for so many years. That has happened to me previously, sort of pains and aches here and there, but it would normally go away after a couple of weeks. So this time I thought, ah, it's it's probably going to be the same. So I kept playing. Unfortunately, it was not getting better. It was getting worse. Uh, so I turned into, you know, using an anti-inflammatory creams and painkillers resting my hand as much as I could but that really wasn't a possibility because if you are preparing for such a huge recital you just have to practice every day so that wasn't really a case my teacher also was not great (laughs) she probably should have told me to rest and you know maybe move the exam date if possible Uh, But she sort of said, oh, look, it's going to be fine. Just ice it or put heat packs on, keep playing, pass the exam and then rest. Um, So this is what I did, uh, sort of hoping that that things will get better. Uh, Passed the exam, did really well. And then I thought, oh, I'll give it a couple of months and I'll get back to playing. So two or three months later, um, that really didn't like the pain levels didn't really change. I still could not really play without pain. I had quite a lot of issues there. So I went in and saw a physio. There was a local physio uh, and he was a Chinese physio who did acupuncture. That was sort of what what they were doing. And look, it might be, it was years ago, so it might've not made it worse, but this is how it felt at the time. So it felt like it really made the pain worse. I didn't think that was helpful at all. Got pretty scared, um, and I thought, look, I'm just going to try to find out, you know, what, what's, what's really happening. I thought it was an overuse injury. Um, but because it wasn't really getting better, I realized that maybe there was something structural going on and I should probably investigate. So, um, fast forward, I was sort of investigating that for about a year. So that involved seeing, GPs and specialists and hand specialists here in Sydney uh, doing um various tests to check the nerves for carpal tunnel. So it was a long sort of um, long, long, long list of um, different tests and seeing different people here in Sydney. None of them really had a good answer. Uh, so all the tests sort of came back negative. There was nothing um that was showing on the MRI or an ultrasound. So it sort of seemed like I was really healthy, but also in a lot of pain. <laughs> Um, and probably the worst experience there was seeing a, he was a hand specialist who basically said to me, he was a sort of a a guy in a bigger body. Um, and he said, well, look, you know, I'm not made for running marathons. So maybe you're not made for, uh, you know, playing on such a high level and teaching. Um, so at the time it was probably, one of the worst thing that someone said to me, because that was my life at the time. So I was teaching full-time. I was playing. I was a piano teacher. That was my identity. It was being a musician and being a piano teacher. So him saying that, I was like, oh my God, he's a hand specialist. And he just told me I should basically stop what I'm doing and I don't know, change careers. So I left there, it was pretty, pretty devastated um didn't give up at that point my husband was a great great support and great help he basically said can we swear here <laughs> anyway not not good words right so he said the guy was an idiot and let's just try to you know keep investigating it's it's not really what it's going to be um so we ended up going to poland to see our family and um i sort of went on another merry go round of seeing different specialists and different people that my friends and family recommended um Again, none of them, they did all the possible tests. They even scanned my spine and my neck. Uh, So any other structures to see if maybe the pain is radiating from somewhere else, um, that really came back with nothing. Again, I was really healthy, (laughs) but in a lot of pain. (laughs) And I think because I was quite young as well, they didn't really think there was anything sort of um, really problematic happening. And we saw a specialist diagnostician who, um, lovely guy, very experienced, basically said, look, I'm not really seeing anything that might be causing the level of pain that you're getting. There is some degeneration uh, around your wrist, but it's not like I don't think it's causing you, um, you know, the, the pain that you're experiencing. Um, so we sort of came back to Australia not having any <laughs> any answers. I was still in pain. Um, And at the time I was actually on prescription painkillers because it got to the point where I I just couldn't function. And my main job, my full time job was um, teaching and I started having trouble just playing really simple things Um, for my students. I was also working at the, the school's office at the time during the daytime and I was teaching in the afternoons. I had trouble typing and writing, and it was really deteriorating. Like I couldn't even, you know, type up an email, which was quite problematic <laughs> having the job that I had. Um, so I think a few months in, I decided to quit my job. I just couldn't do it anymore. It was it was too painful. The painkillers were not really helping. I didn't really find much relief from those. Um, so probably the lowest point uh, of my life at that time really struggling Um, I'm pretty sure there was sort of a period of depression there as well because I felt like my whole identity was just taken away (laughs) Uh, so I couldn't teach couldn't play I couldn't work and I'm someone who actually likes to work I like to be out there and do things so I ended up just staying at home and watching Netflix and you know sort of getting through the day (laughs) Um, which was pretty pretty rough Um, and sort of the second part of that you know journey of trying to fix that pain because that's where I was at was to and I actually can't remember how I um how I met these people But I think it was through a friend who was also struggling with some um her technique and piano playing and she said to me that she um she knows people who are helping uh pianists get back to playing and sort of recover from injuries uh and there's some sort of technique that they're using um, that is helping you to retrain how you play and how you move your hands around the keyboard and that kind of stuff. And uh, they're all pianists, they're all teachers and they are specializing in that thing called Talban approach. Um, so because I really had no other option, um, I was like, yeah, sure, <laughs> let me let me see what that's all about. Um, So I think that was during the time when I was also seeing a physio who was doing some manual therapy and some nerve uh, gliding and things like that. Lovely guy, really nice visits, didn't help at all. (laughs) Um, So I decided to see the Talman approach experts. uh, Again, really lovely people and I think genuinely wanted to help. Um, So it was basically... Sort of when we talk about posture, it's the same thing. So if you're having back pain, sit in a certain way or don't bend or don't sit in a certain way and that will help um, your pain. So that was quite similar, uh, a bit more complex because it was around sort of it was around piano playing and there is a lot of sort of moving parts when it comes to playing at a certain level. Um, so there were really great teachers, but they had that idea that, you know, if you are sitting in a, in a certain way, if you are you know, not moving your wrist in a certain way when you play, let's say, chords or scales and things like that, that will actually retrain your brain, which is interesting that they had something right in there, that that will retrain your brain and the pain will go away because you will feel safe and your technique will be um, correct in a way. So I really delved into it and I've been doing that for about a year. Um, really pushing it. And that actually made it a lot, a lot worse. (laughs) So there were some moments of sort of relief and that would give me a bit of hope. And then I was like, well, I'm just not doing it good enough. And that was the message coming from them as well. So you just have to practice more. You just have to do that a little bit better. That wrist just has to, you know, be a millimeter more to the left or to the right. And that will suddenly click and, um, and you know, the the pain will will basically disappear. Um, So, and it was, it was really interesting. I was really, really hopeful that that would help. And I kept pursuing that for about a year because there were so many people that I talked to that, that have gone through the process um, that actually were, let's say pain free. So my teacher was somebody who was struggling with um, an injury and pain, and she's retrained herself and That has gone away and she's now playing and teaching. So I was sort of surrounded by all of those people with wonderful stories uh, saying that, you know, that has helped me. I just had to put a lot of work. It was years of work, but that helped. And that was my goal. I just really wanted to go back to play and go back to work. That was really who I was at the time. Um, And again, my lovely husband, I think a year in, I was, I think, on a double dose of pankillus and that wasn't helping. And because of my perfectionist nature, I was really, I think, fanatically trying to get that right Um, because the message was, well, if you do it well enough, um, that will help. Um, That wasn't the case. (laughs) And I think at some point he just said, look, I don't think it's working. It was also really expensive um, because I would have weekly sessions with a teacher. It was really expensive. Uh, she lives in, a, in another state. So I would actually fly there uh, for lessons and then come back to Sydney. I would stay there for a couple of days. And again, she was really, really helpful. I stayed at her place. I think she really, like genuinely wanted to help and she believed that it would help. But. Uh, but, look, maybe it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. It just didn't work. And I think at some point my husband said, look, I I don't think it's working. Like, I know that you really sort of invested in it and we've invested heaps of money in it as well. Um, but I just don't think it's working. I think it's making it worse. Um, so that was, again, quite, um, it was really frustrating, quite confronting as well because it's, you know, you've spent so much money and so much time and you you really invest in what you're doing, and I genuinely believed that the technique was great. And interestingly, it when I tried it because I was still sort of working, I had a few clients, a few, sorry, uh, students, and the the techniques that they were teaching me worked amazingly for my students, young students who were obviously not injured. but from the technical point of view, that was that worked wonders for them. Um, so it's like, well, actually, it, it's got like, there are a lot of uh, little things that are very, very helpful for my students. So I was like, I want to become a Taumann teacher. So it was a whole, you know, um, future that I saw for myself. Um, but it wasn't working for me. <laughs> it worked for everybody else, but not for me. Um, so I think we I just made a decision at some point that it's not uh, it's not working. It's it's just actually making things worse. Uh, and that left me again a bit in a bit of a limbo because I had the plan. I was like, this is going to help, and then suddenly you sort of decide, well, it's not helping. What do I do now? I can't actually live like that. Um, so at that point of the story, my husband, who had some issues with his knees uh, when he was younger, started seeing um, Sue May, who's a physiotherapist that we all know. Uh, and after having some sessions of physiotherapy, uh, she recommended Daniel. So Daniel Arabella, who's an exercise physiologist, she recommended him for my husband to go and see and to sort of keep training with Dan um, to strengthen his uh, the muscles around his knees and just sort of give him a bit of an idea of what to do at the gym. Um, so my lovely husband saw Daniel and he, I think they were talking and he mentioned that, uh, you know, I'm having this issue of chronic pain, and it's been, oh, I don't know how many years that was at the time. I think it was a couple of years in uh, by then. So Dan said that, well, you know, what if she books an appointment? Uh, We can talk about it and sort of see if if I can help. Um, So my husband came home and he's explained that to me. I had no idea who exercise physiologists were. I didn't really know what they were doing. Um, so I've asked well who sorry who is he (laughs) what is he doing Uh, because I saw physios and I saw all the specialists and they didn't really have any answers to me so you know why why that would help Um, it's just just, do you want me to go to the gym (laughs) is that it like do you just want me to lift some weights at the gym I didn't really understand what was going on Um, and I think look my husband convinced me to go so that that's Long story short, I did go. I was very skeptical. I think I was not an easy client for Daniel in the beginning. I was very skeptical. I just said, I've seen everybody else, and you know, they didn't help. What can you do? Um, <laughs> so he was very patient with me, um, and sort of approached the problem from a, a different perspective. Um, so look, uh, without going into details, uh, he I think I he gave me some resources I'm just trying to think sort of how it actually started but I think he's explained started off from explaining you know phantom limb pain and the people who don't actually have their limbs they can still experience pain so it's not as simple as having a structural um you know defects or injuries that actually might be a bit more complex so started of that he sent me some resources some um, Links to Lorimer Mosley's videos, so tamed beast. uh, I think a couple of articles from um, from his uh, website, and I I think I watched a couple of videos, and that made so much sense to me. So what they were explaining, and you know, sort of comparing where my pain would flare up and when it would get worse, that it's that it was sort of somehow connected to stress levels and um other things that are happening in our life. So uh it was a very simple explanation in the couple of videos that I watched, but it, it was sort of like a light bulb moment where I'm like no one told me about that. I mean that makes sense because sometimes I'll play the piano and it wouldn't hurt at the time, and then an hour later it would flare up in a way that i I couldn't even uh you know handle that so it was really interesting to see a very different perspective, and I think that sort of um that convinced me that there is something else that I can try to do um to help with that so i yeah booked and i think i can't remember like three months of sessions uh, weekly sessions with daniel um and yeah this is how the the good thing started (laughs) um so we had sessions of you know movement and exercise but also um i wouldn't call it pain science education but just talking really that that's what we were doing i was asking questions i was unsure i um i just wanted answers uh and we would discuss things and um we would do some movements in a different way uh at the time i couldn't write a type so we would try to um you know do handwriting in a different way that I would normally do it or type in a different way, different heights. So it was, I call it a bit of an exposure therapy. So sort of forcing my body and myself to do things in a different way um, to see if that's actually going to uh, make any difference in in pain levels, and and it was really difficult because for a year I was taught and convinced that I have to move and do things in a very certain way to get rid of my pain whilst Daniel was saying actually no <laughs> this is I want you to do something completely different now and I want you to try all of those different ways of typing and even playing the piano like we had different ideas of you know can your chair hide be here or can you sit on the very left and try to play on the very right hand side of the keyboard just sort of doing many, many different weird things. It was really weird in the beginning. I was like, what? You want me to sit on the floor and try to play the the piano like that? This doesn't make any sense. Um, But because I was desperate (laughs) and didn't really have any answers anywhere else, I was like, okay, let's let's give it a go. And it's good that I did um, because it started helping actually pretty quickly. So the pain levels went down, I would say, in the first couple of weeks which for me after two years was like wow that's that's pretty amazing i'm gonna be like completely healed now and he will fix my pain so that's still where i was at the time (laughs) but it felt good it felt good and it was a sort of a hopeful message for um for the future so i i worked with daniel for um i think consistently weekly for about a year i think it was it was a pretty long time Um, but sort of the worst part was the, yeah, the first, the first couple of months where it was all about, you know, trying to understand how things were, trying to do things differently, uh, going to gym as well. I was not a gym person at all. I was a musician and an artist. I would always be very careful about my hands. Um, I would never play any sports because I could break my finger. So, um, and so I was not a sporty person at all. The only thing that I was doing, and not at the time, but previously in Australia for two or three years was Krav Maga, which is, self-defense um system so that was a sort of fitness activity but gym was a you know terra incognita for me and I've, (laughs) i've never stepped foot in a gym um so that was pretty hard uh but also quite enjoyable and it turned out that exercising and moving and actually lifting weights and strength training was helpful for the pain level so if that would flare up i would go to the gym and it would normally get better so i started finding those little sort of different management techniques, that's how I call it, um, to deal with flare-ups and to deal with the pain on the on a daily basis. Uh and that was a lot of those. So I don't know if you want to delve into it, but there's a lot of different things that I was trying to do. And some of them I found helpful, some of them were not as helpful. Um, but that was all connected to again seeing Daniel talking about it, uh, really delving deep into Laura Mamosley's work into explain pain uh I've joined a few groups on Facebook so um yeah that sort of pain science community I got really interested in that and I did find it quite quite helpful um in saying that there were really ups and downs here and there so um I wouldn't say that it fixed me <laughs> and it definitely did not get rid of my pain it's still coming back here and there there are still flare-ups uh which can be really frustrating at times but it's definitely nothing compared to you know where I was at and that was back in 2015 uh where you know I couldn't write couldn't type couldn't open the door uh it couldn't you know open a jar (laughs) it was everything was just so painful and I couldn't work couldn't do anything so you know being in this um moment now where I could actually go back to uni i could go back to work um was pretty incredible compared to you know where things started and and when they are now so yeah i feel like i was talking for a very long time so i will um stop now
1: (laughs) oh that was so good yeah i i said it when um dan you mentioned dan was on uh, mm. the long winded stories. I live for them. They
2: are amazing.
1: <laughs> so thank you. Um, I know my mind's buzzing with a million questions from what you went through, Yeah. but I want to let Em go first cause her mind's yeah. usually a bit more structured if she has anything. Yeah. Cool. All right. Em's shaking her head. So I've got the green light to go.
2: <laughs> That's okay. If you ask, I'm just going to turn on the lights cause I feel like, yeah, go for gold.
1: um, <laughs> okay. so I mean, like you, you had a real big, big um, journey and it, you, you, you went from kind of wanting to fix the pain and find out, you know, what's wrong. You, you're looking at scans. You were told, do things in a certain way. Yeah. You, you, and you, you, know, you were told that it was supposed to work and it didn't, and you tried and tried and tried. Then you were skeptical when you even made it to um, Dan, but you had that support from your husband Bloody round of applause to him for being that supportive one. it
2: was great. (laughs) Um,
1: And you ended up finding something through a bit of persistence, which is awesome. Um, I think, and especially with this episode, um, I mean, at least in in my mind, you know, concentrating on what it is to have a lived experience with something and why that's so important, is that journey really dictates, if we look back through your history, how you're going to interpret your world, right? And the, the fact that there were things like the cost to go to this, mm. it was called Taubman
2: Method, was it? It's called Taubman Approach, yes. Approach. So Dorothy Taubman was a piano teacher back in the U.S. Uh, not that long ago, I think about 20 years ago. She's passed away now. Um, that, yeah, apparently has um, created that technique. But as far as I know, there's no... Uh, Now, knowing about evidence and how to find things, there's not really sort of scientific evidence or studies that would prove that this works the way they say it does. But again, there is a lot of people that it helped uh, and they were lovely, genuinely, you know, people who cared. So, you know, I'm trying not to uh, sort of bash them here (laughs) because I think they did everything they could. Um, It just wasn't
0: helpful for me. Yeah. One thing I want to add with just your story in general is the first thing that was coming into my mind was why is knowing no one like asking you or at least what's the word like collaborating with you to continue piano like it mm. seemed like the go-to was just oh well you're gonna have to stop that now and yeah it's crazy
2: yeah yeah I think okay. it is, especially if someone tells you that, you know, this is what I do for a living. <laughs> it's not my hobby. It's not because yeah. I like to play. No, this is what I do for a living. I have, you know, 40 or so students every week and I play and I have to be able to keep doing that. So it was like, oh, you know, find a different career. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah,
0: it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I just find that it's classic in like, it's so reductionist and it treats you so much like very much body as machine rather than human that's in the body that like as you've just mentioned you had 45 students so it's firstly your identity it's how you describe yourself see yourself it's the way that you make a living it's the Mm. way that you're able to do things that are important to you and all that sort of stuff so then like it makes me annoyed at least to think about a hand surgeon, that to be like, oh, just don't do that. It's like he well, it was awful.
2: Yeah, just don't be awful. a hand yeah.
0: surgeon and let me know how that oh. feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. he couldn't run marathons, so I guess oh, I can't yeah. play the piano. Yeah, cause <laughs> I, I, that was his life goal.
2: Uh, awful. Yeah, awful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sass. Oh no! Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, full on. I, I agree. And I wonder, has he even ever attempted to run the marathon? Because Maybe he could prove himself wrong. You know what I mean? Honestly,
2: like now working with, you know, people in bigger bodies, I'm sure that he, if you, he would want to, he could run a marathon.
1: But... And that's exactly what I'm getting at, right? You, you don't know what you're able to achieve until you try to achieve it, right? Yeah. You can't say you're not built for this. Um, I, that's, I'm sorry, in my mind, that's a really harsh and crappy philosophy to give yourself oh, and yeah. others. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, like through all of that, you actually had some good come out of it because you were actually able to take that, that Taubman approach and apply it to your own teaching. Right.
2: Yeah. So Mm. again, like it was really helpful for my students, but that was for, you know, younger kids who were not injured too. And I also, I think it's the, how you, how you frame things. It's the context as well. So the context that I was, um, sort of learning it was hey I want to get out of pain I just want this to stop hurting I want to get back to teaching whilst when I was teaching that to my students I would say this is going to make your player playing more efficient let's try that it's actually going to it will be easier for you to do that so it wasn't from a perspective of I want you to do it like that because otherwise you'll get injured (laughs) it wasn't like that so it's the framework of that as well 100%.
1: 100%. Um, with that, I kind of want to go a little bit further into your story and ask a little bit more about um, once, you know, you, you started seeing Dan and things started, I think you said back then uh, that the good things started to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like at that point, is, is that when you were kind of looking into doing personal training and going into uni and things, or what happened there?
0: Good
2: question. Um, yeah so at the time i was not teaching anymore so i stopped teaching um and i even though i was getting like the pain levels were getting better i think it was quite traumatizing to get back to it so still actually until this day even though i play there are moments where i sort of get a bit of a uh, (laughs) when there's something a bit more difficult coming up so I didn't really feel like um I wanted to get back to teaching and also it was quite difficult to work with young students who sort of had all of that in front of them there was you know what I mean like I can't really explain it it wasn't jealousy but it just didn't sit right with me in a way and it was quite hard for me to teach others where I couldn't really do it myself even though the pain was getting better um Yeah, so I decided I'm not going to go back to teaching and I was sort of looking for something else to do in the meantime. So uh, once I started getting better, I because I had some experience in office jobs and sort of administration, I found a job as a uh, dental receptionist at the time at a sort of an old school practice that actually did not have computer. (laughs) So typing was the biggest issue for me at the time and that particular practice didn't have a computer so I was like it's amazing this is the best job ever I can write things down so writing um started to get a lot better typing was quite tricky so, I don't know maybe it felt like playing I'm not sure um so I did that and it was it was a job that I was enjoying but I knew that it was going to be a sort of a transitional job it wasn't something that I wanted to do um you know long term and I think I've really enjoyed teaching because it was something it was a way of giving back to community it was a way to work with people it was a way to teach them something uh and it just felt like you know it aligned with my values a lot so I was looking for something else that could um sort of give me you know similar levels of satisfaction um and because I started getting better at the gym <laughs> I started lifting I was really enjoying it um And it helped me a lot. I was like, whoa, you know, exercise physiologists are amazing people and what they do was amazing and they help others. I'm sorry if I sound sarcastic, but I really meant it. Um, So... I really thought that it was a great job to have and, you know, helping people to get back to the things that they love and helping them to um, manage their pain better was, you know, an amazing job to have. Um, So I thought, well, this is what I want to do now. (laughs) Can't be a teacher anymore, but I can teach people how to exercise and how to sort of make sense of their pain. Um, So I asked Dan, I was like, how do I, how do I, what what is this thing? So we had a chat and he said, look, um, what if you do a personal training certification uh first, see if you actually enjoy working with people in this uh in this context. Uh and if you do, then you know, you can try and apply to go to uni. So at the time I, because I'm from Poland, I was still a permanent uh, I don't actually think I was a permanent resident yet. Uh no i was a permanent resident sorry so i was a permanent resident so permanent residents they uh, can go to uni and they ca- can get a commonwealth supported place but they cannot actually get a student loan so you have to pay for uh uni up front again the you know it's not an international uh student um fee but it is still about, you know quite a lot and you have to pay for that up front so um because I just went back to work. That wasn't really an option at the time. So I did my personal training certification. I uh I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. Um and I started, yeah, and then I started working at F 45 was my first job. Um, so I did that first and I really enjoyed it. So I kept working um in the dental practice, that was sort of my main full-time job. And on the side, I was doing, you know, fitness group classes, geeks, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how it started. There's more, but you ask me questions and I'll, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you kind of made that transition
2: mm. after
1: dealing with everything and finding maybe a new passion, we can call it. Um, and uh, so, so with that then, You've been a personal trainer for a little while now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, yeah, so you've been a personal trainer for a little while now, and how has having all this lived experience with your pain and going through different things, having crappy experiences and good ones, helped you help your clients?
2: I think um look, I'm quite lucky to be so when I started my very first job, it was F45. So for anyone who's ever been or worked at F45, um, it's very um so you don't really get a choice of what you do and how you do things. It's set up from the top and you run the programs that uh everybody else runs around the country. <laughs> um so really you just do what others, other people write the programs and you just run it that's really all that is so at the time I didn't really have you know many opportunities to um to train my own clients um and then I was quite lucky to find a job at uh Haven Wellness uh which is a um it's a women's um health and fitness studio in Summerhill um it is let's call it a body positive or body neutral. So um, it is a place where we sort of focus on um, on people's goals that are not um, related to weight or to weight loss. Um, and because I, the reason why I got into fitness was to help people, well, first of all, manage their pain, but this is sort of coming into the EP um degree but also you know help people to feel stronger to feel more confident in their bodies to um feel um safe as they get older so sort of my reasons for becoming a personal trainer were quite different to um let's say what you know most personal trainers um have so i again was quite lucky to start working at haven wellness and then i started to get quite a lot of clients who and i think all personal trainers do um who had history of injuries who have had history of um long term back pain or let's call it chronic back pain not everybody but actually quite a lot of people i would say a lot of my clients were older clients so people that would be you know 50 plus 60 plus years and um you know, when you get to that age, I think most of us would have some sort of history of of previous injuries or or some sort of pain. Um, so I'd say it's really helpful because it gives or well, it gives you a better perspective of what that client might be going through. And again, I don't want to say that if you, have your own experience with an injury or a chronic pain that you actually know how it's like for somebody else. You don't. (laughs) Somebody else's experience might be very different to yours. So I am trying to be very mindful to not to do that and not to put my own um experience um and sort of pretend that it's the same for them. Um, But I can definitely say that it makes it a little bit easier to relate. To people. So whether it is back pain or you know, it is my hand pain, some experience to, to a certain extent is, is quite similar. Uh, so fear of movement is one of those things. So being scared of moving into certain positions. Um, so knowing how that feels, um, I think is helpful to for you to be able to relate to your client and say, actually this is not ridiculous that you feel this way it's it's very normal that you are now scared to you know walk down the stairs that you are now scared to put high heels uh because for a very long time I was scared to open the door (laughs) and that's sort of an everyday thing that you might have to be doing so um having that experience helps you relate to your clients I think um not always but um Quite often when I talk to my clients and I and it is in my bio that I have experience with chronic pain. So if they are looking for a trainer and um, if they know that I'm going to be their trainer, they can look it up and they can see that this is what I'm going through. And sometimes it helps people to open up as well and they go, look, um, you have experience with chronic pain as well. What's been happening? I tell them a little bit. I try not to sort of go into a very long story, but I explain very shortly, um, you know, can you hear that? I'm sorry if you can. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's yeah, baby. Um. So, so they can open up a little bit more uh, if they know that you've gone through it as well. They're a little bit less scared to share that with you um, because they might think that you will be a bit more empathetic because you've gone through it yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think in that regard, it's it's really helpful. As a practitioner or a personal trainer, it doesn't really matter because we all work with people. Um, I think it helps you to be more compassionate uh, and it helps you to um, save your judgment and to really be mindful of how you say things and what you say to people. So, for example, you know, meeting that lovely hand surgeon who told me what he told me, uh, I am now being very mindful of how I talk to people. What language do you use? How do you explain things to them? Um, How do you even teach exercises? So if we, let's say someone has a history of um, chronic back pain, most of those people are completely scared of doing a deadlift because it's bending forward most of the time with the weight so it's just really really scary um so even when you explain how to do that movement uh you i think as someone who has experienced a chronic pain you are mindful of how you say things so you don't say things like keep your neutral spine otherwise you're going to hurt yourself because that will create a whole reaction of um stress and it will most likely hurt them then (laughs) because they're so stressed and tense and um, just guarded against that movement um, that it will, it will hurt. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just helps you to see things from a different perspective, having that knowledge and having that experience yourself.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> you encapsulated that so well. One of our questions <laughs> you covered basically the rest of our questions, actually. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what, i'm hearing is that like having that lived experiences kind of enabled you to empathize more be able to relate and be able to care for people a little bit more and at least put yourself in their shoes and be kinder and like more compassionate like some really great 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 qualities (laughs) (laughs) great yeah (laughs) um there was something else um that you said skip my mind um oh well moving oh yeah andrew
1: oh no i'm sorry okay <laughs> <laughs> my bad because when it comes to you it comes to you it's okay
0: oh no it's it's gone now stage fright um well you kind of touched on what clinicians can do and how you're more mindful these days as well with the way that you wear things and the language that you use So going on to our last question, you'll have to think of another tip apart from us being mindful of our language. What advice would you give clinicians from your perspective on how to basically be a better practitioner or how to approach these things or, yeah, what would you say is needed? Um, Yeah, I would say... um
2: ask questions that would be my main advice I've met like throughout my journey I met so many um, health professionals who would just sort of jump straight into you know an assessment or a test or scan results Um, but they wouldn't even talk to me (laughs) much and sort of ask me uh, what the experience been like and when things started not all of them I'm not saying that but uh, let's say the the ones that I wouldn't recommend people to see would be the ones who who didn't ask questions. So ask questions, ask that person, you know, what their their experience is like. Um, because I feel like even if you do have experience of chronic pain, or even if you've seen, you know, 5, 10, 20 people with uh, chronic back pain, every single person's experience might be vastly different <laughs> from one person to another. So I think we quite often jump into conclusions pretty quickly and we um, we think that if we've worked with somebody who had a similar issue, now we know how it feels or now we know what to do. Uh, but I actually had clients who uh, both of them chronic back pain, one of them was happy to do deadlifts and happy to try, another one not at all. And if I would have told that person, hey, you can do this, it's going to be great, they would probably never come back. So I I ask, what do you feel comfortable doing? Uh, you know, what movements do you find to be uncomfortable? Do, are you feeling comfortable or do you feel, um, you know, would you like to try that? So I think coming from a place of collaboration instead of, a place of sort of authority um, and again as a personal trainer we're not in that hierarchy of health professionals we're quite low here but when we talk about physios and then gps and doctors quite often it comes from the top and they go you should do these exercises because that will help you well what if they don't want to what if they've tried it before that's another one always ask what have they tried before? Because you might be the fifth person that they're seeing and they've tried all of these things <laughs> and none of it worked. So just ask questions. Talk to that person like a human. I think I, especially as a new trainer, I was so scared of, you know, doing perfect programs and and creating perfect classes and making sure that it's all written down. Uh, but what it really comes down to, like good programming is great and it's helpful. But what it comes down to, is really sitting down with that person and asking them, what would you like to do? Sometimes they don't know. They say, so, oh, I don't know. You tell me, and that's fine. <laughs> uh, but some people will actually tell you, oh, I don't want to do squats. They, they don't feel good, or just you know, talk to people, ask them. I think that's my biggest advice. <laughs> don't think you know everything. <laughs> You probably great
1: don't. <laughs> ending quote that's awesome don't think you know everything
2: hmm.
1: yeah uh, i personally see asking questions as doing my due diligence and checking in with my clients friends family whoever it is that i'm trying to give advice or help i think that that's a that's a really awesome way to put it um, uh, sometimes people do think they're doing their due diligence by doing these assessments and they don't realize it sometimes does a little bit more harm than good. So really good. It's okay. little... It
2: could be a part of it. I'm not saying mm. don't do your assessments. Yeah, but definitely do, especially if you're a physio. I don't do it because I'm a personal trainer. So I don't, it's not my scope of practice to actually assess certain things. But yeah, do it. it it's helpful. But also at the same time, <laughs> explain to people why you're doing it. Ask yeah. them if they are okay with you doing that. Maybe they don't want to know. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Awesome, Barbara. I'm going to pass to Emily if she has any last remarks because otherwise we will finish it up there. This has been a really good talk for the last, you know, 50 minutes or so. Yay. Um,
0: Yeah, I just really like um, how you basically um, talked about shared decision-making and collaboration and patient-centred care, all the buzzwords in like a really nice way without any buzzword. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like buzzwords, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's perfect because like we don't need them. Um, They just help like, yeah, summarise I guess what we're trying to mean. Um, But the, yeah, the way that you've described asking your patient or clients the questions and from what I heard was they're the expert and there's a space to learn from them, to check in with them and to not, again, assume that they're just this body machine that wants to go, yep, like I'll I'll do everything that you say or like, (laughs) I don't know if that made sense, but like they're a human with past experiences and... Um, being able to check in and ask for consent and asking them what their preferences and their needs are, are really important. So yeah, really, you're doing awesome work. <laughs> yeah, thank you.
1: <laughs> okay, um, and with that, at the end of the episodes, we always just pop in a little self-promotion for yourself. So um, if you're okay with it, If you have a social media handle you'd like to drop so that people can follow you, follow more of your journey and maybe what you do, Um, where can they reach you?
2: Sure. So I'm on Facebook we're getting instagram uh but mainly instagram recently so it's barbara but it's got b-r-e-c-k-a-p-t so that's the instagram i am also a pre and postnatal coach so if any of the listeners are moms to be or moms uh, then i've got uh, another one who's um <laughs> it's called move mama bear on instagram and that's mainly for uh, Sort of pregnancy and postpartum and prenatal um, advice and exercise, uh, but yep, for sort of pain-related uh, strength training stuff, it's um, Barbara Buretzka, PT on Instagram and Facebook
0: is the same. So yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Research to Practice. What do you can find all relevant episode information in the caption and find us on Instagram at Research the Number Two Practice underscore podcast as well as on our personal pages at mwalker underscore xviz and at andrewxviz. And with that, we encourage you to remember that research means you don't know, but you're willing to find out.